Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today on JOSPT Insights, we're diving into social determinants of health, those characteristics and factors that play a very important role in how people access and experience healthcare. Professor Chad Cook from Duke University is back on the JOSVT Insights podcast this week. Today, he's going to be breaking down what the social determinants of health are, why we should care about them when we're working with patients in the musculoskeletal healthcare setting, and how to read the research on social determinants of health. And this is a really timely discussion in 2020, especially given how the COVID-19 pandemic has really unmasked gaping inequities in healthcare and musculoskeletal healthcare, unfortunately, is not immune. Chad is a clinician, a researcher, and a physical therapy advocate. And in today's episode, you'll hear some of that passion for delivering quality care to all patients. Chad, welcome back to the JOSPT Insights podcast. Thanks, Claire. It's good to be back. I'm hearing lots about the social determinants of health right now. Can you give us a broad overview of what the social determinants of health really are? I'll do my best. Uh, It's actually really complicated, but it's also super important. If you look at the World Health Organization's definition, these are key features that are both structural and intermediary, but essentially what they are, where do people live, race, ethnicity, gender, education, occupation, things that make up a person that influences the socioeconomic status, things that make up their ability to have a healthy life, to live somewhere that's safe, to have healthy habits that in turn should influence overall health. Those are social determinants of health. And so why should musculoskeletal rehabilitation clinicians care about the social determinants of health? Well, so far, what we know is that social determinants of health actually influence health, morbidity, and mortality more so than anything else. So that if, if our goal as clinicians is to do whatever we can to maximize the patient's outcomes, we need to know what influences those outcomes. And right now, social determinants of health actually influence the outcomes more, more than our treatments, even more than genetics. And knowing that, what we do with that patient should have some adoption of those elements in there. Otherwise, we're not going to maximize our outcomes with those patients. So are we talking about a biopsychosocial model of health here or is it something, something broader or something different? It's a true biopsychosocial model. I think what we have right now is a biopsycho model where we've touched on the psychological piece. We're doing very well with that. In fact, that's all the rage now. The biological piece, has, it's in our DNA. That's our history. That's what we've done historically. And we've always left out the social piece, but the social determinants of health They are the social piece of the biopsychosocial model. How do we measure the social determinants of health? It's evolving. There are a couple of tools right now that are suggested by specific groups. For example, the PREPARE group. There are 19 items that you ask that are related to race, ethnicity, veteran status, language, housing stability, income, 
material security, all of these things that many of us don't think about, but can markedly influence a person's health and health status. There's the health leads screening tool, which is, I mean, these are direct questions that are designed for the clinician to act upon if a person actually marks one or two of those things. Those are the two that I've seen used the most. I think this is evolving. I think as more research comes out, we're going to see a standardized instrument. And so is it enough just to ask the odd question here or there, or should I be incorporating one of these tools into, say, an intake form, or how does it fit into um, a clinical assessment? I would think that a question... A questionnaire associated with social determinants of health has as much port importance as any general health status or health intake form. However, if you incorporate it, you're going to need to be able to act upon it. And I think that's maybe a, an area where some of the clinicians aren't yet, where they may not know their community resources. They may not know exactly who to refer a person to. If a person tells you that they don't have a place to stay tonight because they don't have housing security. Or if you know that person needs mobility as part of their management program, but they live in a, a dangerous neighborhood or, or they're a place with no sidewalks, or what are the options that you can give to that, that particular patient? So you're going to have to do some homework and know your community and know the resources in that community. Otherwise, you're just asking questions and not acting on those questions. Are there any other risks with measuring social determinants of health aside from if you don't know where to refer someone or if you haven't sort of got the plan B, C and D lined up? My experience is, is that some of your patients are not going to warm up to some of the questions that you're asking, like partner violence and other elements, which are certainly part of the prepare instrument. So I think you run the risk of alienating your relationship with your patient. So you may need to do some groundwork first before you ask those questions, or I've seen some clinicians actually build the relationship with the patient first, learn a little bit about them, and then incorporate those questions. Let's imagine a scenario where you've done a bit of groundwork, you've used the appropriate or the tool that you find is going to be a best fit for your clinic. What do you do about them? Once you've got these social determinants of health or you've got some kind of measure, what's the next step? I think there are two. One is very much you need to act upon it. And this is where you understand your community resources, what's available, how public resources can help contribute to the overall care of that patient, knowing that those social determinants of health are going to influence their outcomes dramatically. The second piece is part of the philosophy of understanding all of the puzzle pieces that make up a clinician's understanding of how patients change and how patients improve. If you know that social determinants of health are either going to directly influence or mediate that recovery process of the patient, that in itself is quite valuable as a clinician. I remember when I was a clinician in Orlando, Florida, they did not have a public busing system at the time. He was a young man. He was in a band. He was a lead singer. He had an ACL tear. I, I said, one of the things we're going to need to do first is normalize gait. And this was the time when we used to see patients three times a week and we'd have them run through all of the different exercise program. And, and I gave him all of this stuff to do. And he's looking at me and he said, I can't do that. I have no access. I don't have a car. The public busing system is inappropriate. I don't have access to get here. 
I don't have anywhere in my community that I can walk around and normalize my gait. I had to redo everything with him in order to, to get it to work. So this is a, just a, probably an everyday example that everyone runs into. But on my end of it, what I recognized was that if I wanted to get those outcomes, that these elements, these social determinants, are going to contribute to those. And unless I alter how to do that, I'm not going to get the outcomes I want. We allowed him to be the person that he needed to be to fit within his environment. and it matched. It, it ended up working. He could not be the stereotypic, this is what your rehab management program is going to look like. Let's imagine I'm a clinician who works with pediatric patients. How do social determinants of health differ or do they differ between adult patients and, and children or young adolescents? But I think you're going to need to understand the family situation, the resources of that family. And because the family members play such a significant role in the recovery process of that young child, you have to have a very honest conversation, I think, with their caregiver or, or the person that may not be their caregiver, but is there managing that particular situation at that time. And, and that's going to help you model your care process in a way that's meaningful for that particular person in front of you. So the principles are the same. It's about feeling comfortable and confident to then apply them appropriately to the patient in front of you. Indeed. And I think in a previous podcast, you had asked me about, should psychology be part of our educational process? And I think that's where it fits in the best is in in being able to have an honest conversation with somebody about some very difficult topics. I mean, talking to somebody about nutrition is not an easy thing to do. And without coming across as being pedantic or parental, but being more of a colleague and just say, hey, you know, I need to find out these things. Maybe there's something I can do to help you. Just be cautious about diving in too quickly if you don't have those resources to to follow up. Let's Move a little bit into the research space now, because I think this this is an area where the research is really developing um, relatively quickly. So what's on the horizon in the research space when we talk about social determinants of health? So I know that since the 90s, there have been a number of studies that have looked at the contribution of social determinants of health on overall morbidity or mortality. And I think it opened a lot of individuals' eyes of how powerful that actually was. And then it's always in the mindset of public health. How can we remodel a system so that we can improve the social determinants and then in turn improve overall health? What model would that look like? What would we have to do? And politically, what sort of changes would we need to make in order for that to happen? I think what you're seeing now in the research is the identification of an appropriate screening tool or a one-size-fits-all tool or something that we're doing, which is trying to build a a risk factor index. Knowing that social determinants of health influence outcomes so much, we have to control for that in any of the studies that we look at. If you're doing a randomized controlled trial and and you don't count for those factors, how do you really know the influence of your intervention? We're working on that on our end of it. Other people are also working on it, but I don't think that anybody has created a a standard tool yet. Let's talk about that research. You talked before about developing a tool and developing a sort of risk profile approach. What does that mean? Can you unpack that a little bit for us, please, Chad? 
there are administrative risk management profiles. Like it started with the Charleston index and then which converted to the DAO index. And now there's more of a proprietary one called the Alex Hauser index. So if you're doing any type of large database analysis, use that to control for the comorbidities. It gives you some assessment of the the health status of the patient, more on the biological side. But on the social side, there really isn't anything. And we know that that probably influences the social piece as much or more than the biological piece. So it just makes sense that we build something, an index, that will account for where that patient is socially. The challenge is social factors do not behave the same as biological factors. You would think that adding one additional social factor on top of another, like, for example, two social determinants of health should cause an increase in the likelihood of a worse outcome versus one. Three should be more than two, which should be more than one. But that's not what we see. Sometimes there are combinations that work together. Other times there isn't. So it's not like a clinical prediction rule where you can have, if you have three of five, this is what it's going to lead to. You know what it's like? It's like trying to predict return to sport. That is so complex because there are all these, it's longitudinal. There are all these features that occur along the way. It's the same thing with social determinants health. So many different mediating factors that there isn't going to be probably one particular model that will be a one-size-fits-all. So it's not a matter of simply going, okay, this person lives in a poor neighborhood and um, doesn't have very good social support or is working a low-paid job, therefore the outcome is going to be bad. There might be this, the same person with the same problem who's living in a really rich neighborhood who works a really good job and has lots of social support but does worse. Yes. It's bi-directional. We also know that some of the factors will mediate more than the others. For example, employment status. And it's incredibly powerful. And it seems to be a master mediator, similar to individuals with psych problems, self-efficacy is a master mediator. It looks like employment status is trumping a lot of the other social factors. I have listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of public health papers about what would, how could we fix some of the social challenges we have in America? And it isn't just giving them housing. It isn't just giving them free food. It isn't just trying to prop them up. It's giving them a job and skills. And the employment piece tends to be that master mediator with respect to social determinants of health. And some of the work that we've done, we've actually found that if you look at somebody who's gainfully employed, unemployed, but employable or disabled, there is a doubling of worse ODI and NDI in those that are disabled versus those that are gainfully employed, and a good 50% difference from those who are unemployed versus employed. So neck and back pain disability index is what you're talking about there. It makes a huge difference. And this is on individuals with the same diagnosis who receive the same treatment. Perhaps the other point to make there is, as you said before, it's not simply the simple quick fix is we might go, well, let's just get people a job. But I think the challenge is that 
within your employment and what that employment gives you in the sense of feeling like a person who's contributing and providing for your family and all of these sorts of things. It's all of these things that are also influencing your outcome. It's not simply the fact that you have a job. It's it's all the other stuff that employment might represent. I agree. I, I, it's part of identity. It, it's part of it's part of security. It's part of upward mobility, and and all of those elements I think are, you know, what make what makes a person feel whole. And it's part of the. It's also part of the sociology of medicine, and and a person's continued pursuit of trying to check that box on are they well or are where are they where they need to be. Social determinants of health play a role in that. How is the research in this field different to, say, a trial of an intervention, or how is it different to the traditional type of prognosis research that we might read where we do a longitudinal study, the researchers measure a whole bunch of stuff at the beginning and follow the people over time, and then at the end we see who does well and who doesn't do so well, and then what differentiates those two groups? How is researching social determinants of health different? First of all, it's super complicated. It's much more complicated. The biggest challenge is in randomized controlled trials, most people don't collect this information. So you never have this understanding of the socially, where are these people coming from? Where are they? And knowing that that is going to mediate an outcome dramatically. So the first things first, in any type of RCT where you're going to control for these factors, at least collect them and be able to describe your population because that's going to be meaningful. Any type of prognostic study or any type of design where you're trying to build a model to look at the contribution of social determinants of health in that model. I think one of the big challenges is that we, we assume that each factor is weighted the same. We assume that it compounds upon itself, which it does not. So what we've done is we've gone in and, and we've actually done two different things. We've done latent trait analysis to see, is there a pattern to social determinants of health? That is there are there clusters, so to speak? And then we've also done cluster analysis on a separate population. And we have looked at this and have actually identified that there are appears to be four, four different models associated with social determinants of health. And so what would be your tips for folks who are reading the research, starting to get into reading this research? What should they be looking out for? How do you know, or how would I know if I'm reading a good study or not? Look at the methodology, look to see if the population used is similar to the population that you see in clinical practice. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as clinicians is we assume that everything found in every study is transferable to your population. I would look at all of those things before I would really pull the trigger on moving on something. And also be patient. I think we're still years away from really solid we've wrapped our arms around social determinants of health. I think we're, we've got some time before we've got to tackle that. There are parallels with other research fields. I'm thinking of the sports injury prediction people who are trying to understand why certain people get sports injuries. And, and again, it's, it's complicated. I think the short answer is that it's complicated. We're dealing with human beings who have got lots of different things going on in their lives and as a, as a person that could influence their risk or, or not risk of something happening. Yeah, I think that's a perfect analogy. Uh, and it, it's like, completely parallel with that. And to, and to assume that everything is going to happen the same way as something as complex as a human, that's a huge mistake. I mean, if we were all the same, it'd be pretty boring, I reckon. 
Yeah, I think basic science research is pretty boring, to be honest. I'd, I'd much rather be stumped on a day-to-day basis when I try to sort this stuff out. Chad, thanks so much for joining us today on JOSPT Insights. It's been great having your help untangling some of the complexity in social determinants of health. Thank you for inviting me, Claire. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.